You're listening to episode 10 of the Practice Brave podcast. Welcome to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm here with my colleague and friend, Katie Macris. She is a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, and she is a very highly trained endurance athlete. And so today we're going to be talking all about the different considerations that endurance athletes in particular need to have when they are pregnant or postpartum. So we talk about athlete brain so much, but I feel like endurance athlete brain is like a whole different beast. And so we really dive into talking about the mindset of endurance athletes and the different options that athletes have for training during their pregnancy and their postpartum experience. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode of the Practice Brave podcast is brought to you by Strength.com and their line of sports nutrition products built by Strength. One of the things I love about this company is that all of Built by Strength products are clean, natural, and NSF certified for sport, meaning they are third-party tested to ensure that what's listed on the nutritional panel is only what's in the product and nothing more. This is true of less than 1% of the supplements that are out there today. Even better, these products are safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding. You can learn more about our sponsor at www.briannabattles.com backslash built by strength. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm here with my friend, Katie Macris. She is a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, and she has recently launched Pursuit Endurance because she's not only a coach, but she's also a high-level endurance athlete. So I'm really excited to bring this conversation around training as an endurance athlete during pregnancy and postpartum to you guys today from somebody who gets it from both a coach perspective, but also a high-level endurance athlete perspective. So Katie, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your knowledge. Uh, Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. So I'm so excited to be here. Like Brianna said, I just launched Pursuit Endurance. Um, I'm based in Washington, D.C. And my idea around starting this was to start pre and postnatal coaching for women who were specifically interested in endurance sports. And when I became pregnant, I was actually about a third of the way into training for a half Ironman. And of course, my athlete brain made me immediately want to continue doing that. Um, So I read a bunch of books, followed a bunch of people on Instagram, athletes who were pregnant at the same time, and tried to sort of figure out how to navigate this in a way that was smart and safe. And I found myself constantly with more questions than answers. And eventually, I started finding out more information. Most of it was postpartum. So I wanted to, as Brie always says, be the person that I wished I had and really dove in headfirst into the world of pregnancy athleticism and postpartum athleticism and um, got certified by AFAA and also by Brianna's program, Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism, and just decided to launch this business. So I'm really excited to share my knowledge. I also am an indoor cycling instructor and a um, USA cycling coach as well. That's really awesome. So tell us about some some of how you train as an endurance athlete. I guess to give a, a little bit of my athletic background, 
I was always a super high energy kid. I actually came from a kind of broad background of soccer, dance, gymnastics. I did a little bit of everything. And I guess I realized I I stayed with dance and everything through high school and college. I even taught dance for a while. And then I think I hit that phase where everybody does after college, where you kind of realize that your clothes don't really fit and you need to work out, but you're not really sure what to do. And I was kind of anti-group fitness at the time. So I was just sort of going to the gym to stay in shape, not really sure of what I wanted. And um, I met a colleague when I was working in retail at the time who lost 10 sizes, quit smoking, got a divorce and started running. And I decided the list could do this, I could do it. So that kind of jump started me into this world of endurance sports. I still credit her to this day for getting me started. And I self-coached through most of it. Um, I self-coached my way through, I think 10 of my marathons and two Ironmans kind of the way I did through pregnancy, just reading everything I could. Um, I joined a triathlon team, made myself a sponge, just talked to everybody, trained with people, tried to absorb as much knowledge as I possibly could from those around me that were succeeding and and failing. I mean, you want to see what people are doing wrong to, to help yourself course correct. And then I didn't actually formally get a coach until after I had my son. So I, I decided after I had him, I really wanted to move into purpose, full structured training. I wanted someone to tell me what to do when. Luckily, my coach is a father of three who also uh, does this part-time and is married to a physician. So his knowledge of women after childbirth, you know, he knows that firsthand and he understands that this is something you have to fit into your life, especially after becoming a mother. Your life can't revolve around triathlon. You really have to reprioritize. So I train... um, Anywhere between five and seven days a week, I usually try to, you know, and two of those days are a little bit lighter. I know that sounds crazy to some people, but it just, it's all scaled differently depending on what I'm doing for the week and a little bit of biking, running and swimming, mostly bike heavy, and then uh, still always working in strength training and, and yoga. So that's sort of where I am now. Oh, I love what you said about like, you know, you train a lot, but that is the nature of this conversation, especially today, guys, is around endurance athletes and their specific interests, what their training looks like and their mindset towards training, especially during pregnancy and postpartum, because it does have to start to shift and look a little bit different from not just volume, but the overall mindset and approach and almost a a new birth of an identity as an endurance athlete and mom. And I, what I love about Katie is she gets it firsthand. She understands athlete brain as it relates to endurance athletes, but also how motherhood comes in and just shifts things a little bit. So Katie, I want to segue into talking about athlete brain because endurance athlete mindset is a whole different ballgame. It's like athlete brain, but even even greater, I guess. Would you say yeah. so? Yes. So I, I think... Part of how I even arrived in triathlons was because I started to get this sort of spastic athlete athlete brain around running. And, you know, I was running, started out with 5Ks, decided to go for a 10K, thought I'd do a half marathon, then ended up in marathons. I mean, I feel like so many triathletes would tell you almost the same story. And then once I decided to do two marathons in the course of two months, which 
I think at this point in my life, if I signed up to do that, I would understand how to scale it differently and handle it well. But at that point, I did not. I was self-coaching and I was not doing anything other than running. I injured myself, as many of us do, and I had to resort to cross-training. So I was going stir-crazy, not being able to run. Found myself in the indoor cycling studio that I now teach at uh, seven years ago, shortly after they opened. And, you know, I was always anti-group fitness. And then I just went into it like a nut and I loved it. And then I bought myself a bike um, around the same time and started commuting to work a little bit. And as it often goes, one thing led to another, started dabbling in swimming again, met people through it who also had athlete brain. We all stirred each other up. And a year and a half later, I was doing an Ironman. But I started getting injured a lot less when I started doing what I used to call cross training and bitch about, which is actually now just training. I used to complain all the time if I had to, oh man, I can't run. I got to swim. I still complain about swimming, by the way. (laughs) I can't stand it. But I learned this year and I will give credit to my coach, John, for pushing me to swim so much more during training for my last Ironman. It made a huge difference in my overall fitness and in my swim time. So get your butts in the pool, people. (laughs) It works. But those tendencies, you know, when you're injured, it's like, oh, it's fine. I'm just going to push through this. And you, you learn to push through pain to the point where there are tears, you are breathing wrong, your heart rate is going up. I mean, you really just, and all of us have done it at some point. Um, those of us have been in the game a little longer, I do it a lot less. But even in training, I mean, now I'll push through kind of anything in a race. But in training, if something hurts or like I actually sprained my ankle a couple of weeks ago. I just backed off of it and I haven't run in two weeks because those things are hard to heal. I guess I should mention at this point, I'm also pregnant with my second. So my son is too pregnant with my second and realizing that these injuries happen so much easier when you're pregnant. So I'm trying to be extra careful, but three years ago, I would have just gone back out the next day with a super tight ankle brace on and run anyway. And that's just the way that we are. And it's in everything. I mean, I've run a marathon before where I actually threw up multiple times at the end of the race. And a lot of my friends and teammates have done the same thing. And it's because you're like, ah, it's just an electrolyte imbalance. I'm going to make it through. And you, you just sort of mentally figure out how to course correct to get yourself to the finish line. And we are all, you know, we all want to make it to the start line healthy, but then once we're at the start line, it's like, we're nuts and we have to finish. And it's like, finish at all costs. Then once you get through it, nature makes you forget what you did, kind of like childbirth. And then you, and then you sign up for something else. Um, And there's so much positive reinforcement there, like from your teammates, from your friends, you know, from family that comes to watch you with these accomplishments. And once you realize you can do it and there's people around you doing it, you start to tone down what you define as crazy. And you're always looking for the next biggest thing. Like what's the longest thing I can do? Okay. I've done the longest thing. Let me find a harder course. Yeah. I think it's, it's just a very extreme culture. I completely understand. And I think that, you know, we've seen such a, such praise for mental toughness. And, and I say this, I come from a family of, uh, <laughs> of a lot of mental toughness and it's literally my husband's job depends on mental fortitude. And he's done variety of really long endurance events, including an Ironman. And beyond the physical aspects of training, it really is endurance training and mental toughness just sort of go hand in hand. That's why we see so much interest in the Spartan races and triathlons in 
so many different people and body types that are pursuing endurance and it's fantastic. And there's such a mental benefit that it, you know, that it has at the very same time, how much is too much pursuit of mental toughness and pushing boundaries physically, mentally, and emotionally. And that's where I think when we really talk about pregnancy and motherhood, that we have to broaden the conversation and say, yes, training mental toughness is an incredible thing to build within ourselves and even our kids. But when is it too much? And that's what I you know, would love to get your opinion on. Yeah. And part of this athlete brain and taking it too far is I think the first signal is an injury. And I know we, we talk a lot in our network sort of about with pregnancy and postpartum about listening to your body and everyone's like, well, what does my body say? Well, right. a lot of times your body has, has some yellow lights, uh, which is what we all ignore. And your body has some red lights. And I would say a lot of times people push through those red lights. When you are pregnant, you cannot do that. If you get a yellow light in pregnancy from your body, it's time to back off. And I think that that's something I, I was impressed with how easily I was able to adopt that mindset. Cause I think, you know, from the moment you're pregnant, you are controlling another life that to some degree you only have so much control over. So everything kind of freaks you out. Um, you know, what's it doing in there? Am I, am I hurting myself? Am I hurting the baby? Like you're just constantly focused on it. Whereas if you sprain your ankle or, you know, you mess your shoulder up, you're just going to push through it. And injuries, when you repeatedly ignore injuries, they only get worse. You end up with overcompensation injuries in other parts of your body. People just tend to resolve them, you know, nothing, a cortisone shot or surgery can't fix. And sometimes you do need to resort to that. But if you're just proactive with strength training I can't believe I'm saying this because I was the person who's like, I don't do group classes. I don't lift weights. It's dumb. I hate doing it. I still hate doing it, but (laughs) it was a big wake up call that you need to strength train. And it does have, we, we know that there is so much athletic carryover between being strong in different compound movements and doing weight bearing exercises and in what we do as endurance athletes, swimming, biking, running, a combination of all those, we know that there's athletic carryover. It's just the, almost like that athlete brain of, well, I don't want to do those things. I want to do these things. But right. it's trying to like put them in the same camp and say, if you want to be good at endurance stuff, you also need to have training that complements the endurance that you want to do. Right. And strengthening hips and glutes, there's so many knee injuries that actually stem from Mm -hmm. these huge muscles in your body. Like, and even keeping a strong core, there's so many injuries that stem from not properly engaging your core. And, you know, we really have to focus on that. And in postpartum, that becomes a huge reality check when you haven't had access to some of your core muscles. And the strength training aspect, you know, in, in, in our head, it's like, well, it's not adding to my mileage and it's not adding to my total time and training peaks. And so, you know, not adding to my swim bike run time. So it's just extra and it's not extra. If you want to get more powerful and faster, therefore faster on the bike, you have to have strong legs and a strong core that's going to help carry you. If you want to pound the pavement for 26.2 miles, you have to get into the gym and build up that strength because there's, you know, there's the endurance side, but the endurance side will only take you so far until you get hurt. I totally agree. And so can we talk a little bit about what pregnancy can look like then for an endurance athlete? Is there 
actually a middle ground when we're coming from doing a lot of high volume training. So much of our identity and, and interest and routine is associated with what I'm doing on Monday and what Tuesday looks like and what I have scheduled with different because we're talking, now we're not talking about a 20 minute workout for the majority right. of endurance athletes. We're talking about an hour at minimum up to like some athletes training up to like what, three hours or more a day, depending on what they're training for. So right. pregnancy can really be a significant shift in volume, intensity, and overall routine. And I would love to get your opinion on, on how pregnant endurance athletes can navigate that. Yeah. So I, I will say one thing I really had to train myself and probably have gotten better about accepting the second time around is that just because you're a runner or a cyclist or a triathlete doesn't mean that you have to run or bike or do all of your triathlon training the entire way through pregnancy. So if you are a runner and you have to stop running at some point in your pregnancy, it doesn't mean you're not a runner anymore. Um, it doesn't mean, I mean, you're, yeah, you're going to have to start a little bit from scratch, but it will come back. Like, it's just like having a really major injury or a surgery. You can come back from it. You just have to be smart about how you do it. And I think if you just adopt that mindset, starting off, like focus on what you can do and not what you can't, there's always an option for you. Unless you're on full bed rest, there is something that you can do as a pregnant triathlete. Things may, may cycle in and out, Running might be the only exception to that. So you might, you might have to stop running pretty early. A lot of times it's just the sheer weight. You might start getting symptoms, um, leakage, heaviness, pain. Um, I distinctly remember, I mean, I ran pretty far into my pregnancy until about 37 weeks. And I was honestly comfortable at short distances moving slow. But I do remember my last double digit run where I had such bad pain about a mile from my house that like, I just basically waddled home and I was like, never again, I'm cutting this distance in half. I'm, I'm done with double digits. And mentally that was a really hard thing for me to say goodbye to. Cause I'd been running runs of 10 to 13 miles every Saturday for like two years straight. I really had to kind of work through that. But then I, I shifted to a little more cycling. I took the time down. So once you're done with running, you might be done with running for good. And I think that's usually the first thing to go for people swimming was super uncomfortable for me. And I, and strangely, I've talked to others who had the same issue during the second trimester. It was very uncomfortable as the baby started to grow. And I was supine. I found that my belly kind of like moved forward into my lungs. And then for some reason around the third trimester, he pushed into a different spot and I could breathe much easier in the water again. And so I took off some time off swimming, dabbled in it when I wanted to try again. And eventually that was the most comfortable form of exercise for me again. So he, it's not like all is lost. And I think that that's, especially with a first time pregnancy with a triathlete, that's the hardest thing to Absolutely. wrap your head around. Yeah. And it sounds like you were truly able to listen to your body and in a whole new way. Whereas before, like I'm a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. I'll like, I just need to keep going. Cause I need to get this in. I need to like register this. I need to clock it. I have to have this done. Whereas during pregnancy, you can be a little bit more adaptable and give yourself different levels of grace. Yeah. And I, I think social media has a huge impact on this. I think this overall conversation, you start following other people and then you notice other people getting pregnant around the same time. And there's such a comparison factor. And 
I remember seeing someone who was pretty prominent in the running community who got pregnant after me and was about four months behind me and was saying that she was having this excruciating back pain, but running through it anyway. And she was like 32 weeks. And in my head, I'm just like, don't message her. Don't message her. You know, like you feel the need (laughs) to just say like, girl, just, just calm down. Like just stop running or it's fine. You can walk, you can do something else. But I think toning back that mindset is, is tough. Um, One way that I've found it really helpful was I had always run with this group on Saturdays and I always kind of fell into one little pace group, ran with the same three to four people out of 20. And as I slowed down, I took it as an opportunity to run with different people. So I just ran with a different pace group. I met new people. I had fun. I think if you keep the focus on you're doing this for fun, you're doing it for your routine, your sanity. If you do decide to race, that's fine. I did a couple races or a few races pregnant, but you're not, you're not doing this for a podium. You're doing this to enjoy it and stay a part of the community. It's just shifting your intention and figuring out when you need to ease up. Again, your, your body gives you some pretty solid red lights in pregnancy. And I tried and will definitely try this time not to even let it get to that point. Right. Cause it's hard. I think a lot of like beyond, I think physical symptoms, like, okay, I'm peeing or I feel like I have to pee, or there's a lot of pressure. I feel like a tampon's falling out. Like those are pretty clear pelvic health signs. Another thing that I don't think that we're taking into consideration as often is just how much your gait can change during pregnancy because your whole structure is shifting and changing. And then your your stride changes. You just get into a, a different movement pattern, which in and of itself can create some, even some orthopedic symptoms and being cognizant of that. Like I've had a lot of athletes who are like, well, I'm still running. And I noticed that I have plantar fasciitis now where I didn't used to have that before, but it really, yeah, you're pregnant and things are changing and shifting. And so being willing to say, maybe right now is not worth it. Like maybe there's other things I can do and it's okay to put a stop to this or to really ease back on my volume and how much I'm doing or just change part of the stimulus so that right now when you're training in pregnancy, you're training on behalf of your long-term, like you're training on behalf of doing endurance events and, or even just not even having to do events, but just being able to go out on an eight mile run on a Saturday with your friends because you want to not right now, but a year from now or two years from now, being able to run and and compete if you want for the rest of your life. And so if we have to put a pause on something during these few months of pregnancy, it's saying it's okay. And that we can still clap for that. And there's not this pressure that we have to put on ourselves of what we thought we should do or what somebody else in our group did, or somebody else on Instagram showed that she was running a marathon at whatever week's pregnant is that something that we really should be praising? You know, mm-hmm. like I think for the majority of people saying, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to sign up. I'm not going to compete in anything. I know that I know myself. I know when I get out there, I'm probably going to push it more than I, more than I want to. And being able to give ourselves that permission to say, maybe not right now. Yeah. And just adjust. And I think too, people don't realize that there, there can be issues with any of your, um, sports. I mean, Brie, you go into a lot of detail in, in your programs about strength training, which again is, mm-hmm. is so important. There's modifications to everything. You can find a way to work the muscle. It's just about finding the way to do it differently so that it works. And same thing, even with cycling, if your wrists are starting to hurt, 
raise the handlebars. Like I know people are like, oh, I, you know, my bike is in this super aero position and they worked for years to get the flexibility to have that kind of fit. And yeah, it's great. But when your belly is touching your bar, it's, it's time to pick the handlebars up. Or if you're cycling indoors and you're putting all this pressure on your upper body because you're leaning forward too much, just make adjustments to that bike fit. It, I mean, I adjusted my road bike fit twice. I even moved my cleats until I was like, okay, this bike can't be ridden comfortably anymore. So I'm going to move on. And I rode my, you know, kept riding my commuter, but there came a point where the bike just didn't work for me anymore. And so I stayed, you know, indoors and, and stuck to my, my quick commute on a different bike that had a more lenient fit to it. Right. So everything is connected in your body. And I think people just think, oh, well, cycling's safe. I'm just going to keep going through it and push through that discomfort. But there are, there are ways to do it literally until the day you deliver if you want to. And plenty of people choose that as their form of exercise. But it, you know, there's ways to just make it work. Right. And I also think as a, almost a disclaimer, because we do have such a broad audience that will be listening to this that are pursuing endurance in their own ways. For some of you, maybe cycling isn't a strong point and is if you're thinking about doing a race, sometimes it's not about just your efficiency and skill at riding. It's the people around you. Yes. And so risk of falling, mm-hmm. which sounds like, I get it, you guys, I get it that it sounds so lame. And so like, it's not going to happen to me. I'm good. But it's it's almost like the element, the elements of your mm-hmm. environment and the people around you. And pregnancy is not a time to push or risk some of those things. And while I will never tell somebody, do not do this. It's not my place. It's my place as a coach anyway, to try to have conversations with a variety of athletes and say, here's your considerations and now make your own informed choice. But that is a consideration I do like to bring to light when talking with, when talking to athletes about racing or competing during pregnancy, um, or just their, their day-to-day training is it's not always about your skill. It's about the variables that are outside of your control and weighing the risk versus reward of pursuing that again, right now, not forever. Yes. And I, I would agree. I mean, even so with racing, um, I have a, an ebook that I'll have up on my website, but with racing, you have to take into, into consideration in the swim, like, do you need a wetsuit? Does your wetsuit safely zip over your belly right now? Like, are you going to be comfortable in there? Are you going to have that episode where your wetsuit's too tight and you freak out? Anyone who's had one knows it's not fun. Um, Are you able to breathe fully in that wetsuit? Are you typically a nervous open water swimmer anyway? Okay. Maybe this isn't the time to go into an open water swim, do the duathlon. I think without, with cycling outside, I will say, and I'm glad you brought that up, the second your balance goes, stop riding outside. And I would say that, I, you know, people are going to have varying degrees of that. And it's definitely something to consider. Some people have no balance issues. I was lucky it didn't really affect me until the very end. But your center of gravity is different. And I'm used to bike commuting through DC, which is a little nuts as it is. But I'm used to making quick movements, um, stopping fast, veering to out, you know, to miss a door and stuff like that. But is it really worth the risk. And if there's a bunch of people on the course that don't know what they're doing and they're going to be bombing down a descent and might, you know, clip the side of you while they're passing you dangerously, are you, are you willing to risk that? So you really have to factor in. I mean, running's probably this strangely, and running's the safest piece of the race um, when you're pregnant because you could just walk. Then nobody's going to run into you, I hope. Right. Um, I'm sure it's happened. But the swimming and biking, there are some real risks there that you have to decide if you're ready. Um, getting kicked in the water 
you know, if you're going to swim, you're going to do a swimming race, go to the outside, just decide that you're going to have a slower swim, enjoy that open water swim and stick to the outside where you're not going to be in like the washing machine of people. Right. And it's really being able to decide like with all of these considerations, is this race worth it right now? Right. Or can I just get through this pregnancy, train in a way that's going to keep me? What's the goal of a fit pregnancy, right? The goal is to not be competing or performing. Mm -hmm. No matter who you are, no matter what level of an athlete you are, that's not the goal of pregnancy. The goal is to just hopefully maintain as solid of a baseline of fitness as you can, but not having to push boundaries. And so Mm -hmm. being able to have that conversation with athletes and say like, is this the time for this? Or can we focus your training right now on what you're training for right now, which is you're heading into a postpartum recovery? Are we setting you up for a solid postpartum recovery? So then you can do the things that you want to do as an endurance athlete. I really think that has to be the conversation that we get out there as what are we encouraging for athletes and what, what is being shown as a uh, typical endurance experience during these chapters. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like really showing as many options as possible. Cause what do we see on, on the news? We see the pregnant marathoner. We see the new mom who's like six seconds postpartum running her half marathon. Right. Like those are the things that we see on TV. And while that is her choice to do that, again, I'm not telling anyone what to do with their body. It's also bringing attention to a different approach and still giving praise for that too, knowing that this is definitely a temporary chapter in your life as an athlete. And what are we doing now to set ourselves up for the long-term interests in sport that we have? Yeah. And you, you see also, you know, on the, on the social media topic, again, if you watch pro triathletes when they're pregnant, I was lucky. I had, I followed Miranda Carfrey and um, Gwen Jorgensen when I was pregnant and they were were kind of around the same time as me, but you know, you might see some of them as I follow a lot of them on Instagram, like doing some local running races and stuff. And they may do some things early on, but their livelihood depends on their ability to perform. And they train, I mean, you see a lot of them train very heavy hours well into their pregnancy. Like I, I remember Michelle Vesterby, you know, 15 or 16 hours a week still towards the end. Granted, she's a, she's a professional and she has a professional team of doctors and PTs and people helping her with this. And it worked for her, but she wasn't going to go do a bunch of Ironmans. What's the point of doing that when you can't perform at your highest level? Like just, just train through it. And then after you've had the baby focus on getting back to it in a way that's smart, but you don't see them out there competing a lot of times in a really serious way, because what's the, you know, what's the point of that when they're, they have to come back and perform. Totally. Um, We aren't making money off this. So really what's the point for us to overdo it? You know? Yeah. And we do, we have to look at the professional athletes and say like, you know what, they are the exception. And there are so many things that are contributing to their choices about training that are not contributing to our choices <laughs> about yeah. training. Like I've talked to so many different professional athletes and they have things like sponsorships and careers and Olympics and this and that, all of these greater considerations on the line that has to dictate their training. But the majority of us, very average people, 
that's not our thing, right? We're doing this because we just enjoy it. And so it's really saying those people are are incredible humans doing incredible things. They're amazing. But is that where we're getting our advice from? Well, it's not, we can't compare what we do to what a professional athlete is doing, you know? So I think the missing piece to all of this information that we see out there is just context for who, Mm -hmm. when, why, like what's the goal? And then being able to navigate training based on the context of who we're actually talking to, not just what we see out there in different magazines, online, whatever. Right. Yeah. Take them for their inspiration. You don't have to repeat their training week, their workouts. If it inspires you to look at them and watch them, for me, it was a learning experience to just see how they scaled things. And even watching some of these incredible world champion quality triathletes just back off. It's like, okay, well, if they're doing it, I don't need to be insane. Totally. And that, I think that really helps navigate our own athlete brain and say, if these women who do have everything on the line are able to make some adjustments to their training and their mental approach, I think I can too. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what postpartum can look like for an endurance athlete and just the the overall uh, like progressive overload. I think that people think of progressive overload as only relating to uh, strength training, but that's the foundation of endurance training, which plays into postpartum so, so well. What does postpartum look like for an endurance athlete who's like, sweet, I'm cleared. Um, I guess I'm going to go out on a three mile run because I get that all the time. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Right? Just wait for clearance. Um, and while we, you know, talk about how the, the clearance does not mean you are literally cleared to go do whatever you want, which is how people take it. Just wait. I mean, I, I will say personally, I thought that I was fine. And around five weeks, I had a complication of my stitches healing that was horrible. And I, it was nothing that I did. I had only been walking and doing you know, some breathing and some like light restorative core work, which there are free has a program that's great for that. And there's also some other ones out there that, you know, can help you kind of ease back into that, like start to learn your breath control again. But this was nothing that I did. It was just the way my body was healing on its own. And so I went back to the doctor at five weeks and then they were like, you have your appointment next week. And I was like, I'm pushing it back to seven. So had I decided at four and a half weeks, I was going to go do stuff because I felt fine. I potentially could have done some damage and I just have always cautioned people to wait. And yeah, I, as soon as I got that clearance, um, I went to a cycling class that night. I took it super easy. I gave myself the permission to stop if I wanted to. And I really just sat there in the saddle and was like, how does this feel? this saddle feels foreign. Like, what is my body doing? I looked at the console to look at the numbers just to see what was happening, but I was not like, how fast am I going? Am I hitting my power targets? I just kind of like got back on the bike to get back on the bike. And I felt like after that time, you know, I, I was able to do that, but it's important to start slow. And when you go for that clearance appointment, be honest with your doctor. Don't lie to get cleared. Um, I've also heard of people doing that, that they're like, I'm oh my still, gosh, totally, <laughs> you know, bleeding like crazy. Uh, my stitches tore my scar, you know, they, uh, they're having real pain on the, from a C-section scar. Like just be honest. You know, if you do too much now, it's going to mean nothing later. So you need to, you really need to take that early postpartum seriously. 
Absolutely. And when a doctor, I think I've said this, I probably said this in the episode with Kiana Welch, but when a doctor or midwife, whoever tells you that you're cleared, it does not necessarily mean that you are cleared for the activity that you want to do. And your doctor just doesn't always have context around what that requires physically, both for your body, but also the readiness of your abdominal wall and pelvic Mm -hmm. floor. And so really what your cleared means is you're cleared to go to pelvic floor physical therapy where they can do a full musculoskeletal assessment of your actual athletic readiness as it relates to the readiness of your pelvic floor that just had a baby come out of it or abdominal wall that just had a baby come out of it. Either way, there's no get out of jail free card with pregnancy and postpartum and returning to fitness. We all have to recover. Mm-hmm. If you had a natural, easy, whatever any of that means, I don't think there's really such thing as an uncomplicated birth because it's such no. a physiological awesome. process for all of us that like nothing about it is uncomplicated. It's all pretty complicated. But being able to have more context around what your body needs, there's so many women that are like, oh, I didn't have symptoms. But gosh, when I went to the pelvic floor physical therapist, so many light bulbs went off because I realized that my hip pain that I had been having was really just connected to my pelvic floor once I had some work done made a huge difference and I'm running better now than I ever have before, but I would have never gone if I didn't know like that kind of thing. So you deserve, if we are going to be neurotic about our training and getting back into it and wanting to have these like performance goals or competition goals, whatever it might be, you have to start with covering your basics first, building that foundation. And that comes from getting the right care postpartum when you're very early on postpartum. We think that running and doing like three miles at six weeks is going to give us what we want. And maybe it gives us that instant gratification. I'm not even a runner. And I wanted to do that for, for for reference people. Like (laughs) it's just, it was that eagerness to feel like I was accomplishing something physical and almost like, well, this will help me lose the baby weight, right? I'm burning calories. I'm sweating. It's like, I'm in my head. It feels really good to just get out and be away. But the big, but is not like our actual readiness for that. Maybe three miles was easy for you once upon a time, or even during pregnancy. Like that was nothing, right? Like for an endurance athlete, three miles is a joke, right? But when you're postpartum, that is a ton of impact and pressure on an injured system. Yes. And so that point, I say to people, when you're coming back from pregnancy, you treat it almost like a reverse taper after a marathon or an Ironman or whatever you're, you know, whatever distance you did, there's no just, we always speak in endurance athletes like, oh, I just did the half marathon or I just did the sprint triathlon. You still did a sprint and a sprint triathlon is, is a harder effort for a shorter amount of time, but the training stress is still there and treat your return as if you were reverse tapering. So as you, as you kind of scaled everything back to conserve that energy, to preserve your fitness and conserve your energy and, you know, eliminate risk of injury as you were heading into your big event, you do the same thing, the other direction. So really just getting out to move. If you're, if you're a runner and you want to run in the, once you get cleared, literally go outside for 10 minutes, go five minutes, one direction and turn around, do a walk, run, focus first on the walking, maybe do like a three to one ratio of walk to run, you know, walk three blocks, run one, see how that feels. Next time you go out, go out for 15 minutes or stay with 10 and see if you can run a little bit longer, run for two blocks, walk for one. So it's about both bringing back in the time and the intensity, the time 
I would say probably comes first and then intensity comes later. And you can start to kind of sprinkle that intensity. in. you know, if you're coming back to cycling, first time you get on the bike, you should just be kind of cruising. I mean, that bike seat, if you have a vaginal delivery is a real reality check. So you want to, you want to make sure you can find a way to get comfortable and don't put those handlebars right back down, ease back into a more aggressive bike fit. Then you can start working in some, some faster intervals. Once you've sat on it a few times and maybe you've done a, a 30 minute ride to get used to it. And then maybe 40 minutes at around 60 or 70% intensity, you really revert back. So many of us are super caught up in statistics. So we're all about power numbers, heart rate targets. First of all, your, I mean, your heart rate is pretty much a joke. Once you become pregnant, it's (laughs) all over the map. You can't use it as a reliable guide. There's ways to work out kind of a new normal once your blood volume evens out, but postpartum, it's going to be the same thing. You have to start as if you were starting as a triathlete again with that perceived exertion. So the one to 10 scale, and we preach this in indoor cycling all the time, don't worry about your power numbers. They will come back. Don't spaz out about your heart rate. It will come back. It's kind of like the same scale in pregnancy. Are you going out for a 30 minute run? And could you pass the talk test the whole time? Like, are you running at a four to five out of 10? Are you, are you biking at around maybe a six to seven out of 10 max at first, um, just hold off on those really breathless efforts until you've spent some time loading in a little bit of volume again. Yeah. I love that. And like, we know this, right? Like none of this, I think that it really is common sense. Like we're really trying to build from the ground up and it's just, it's the time piece that I think makes it really hard for athletes to want to put in that time when they feel like, well, I should be better. I should be able to do this because mm-hmm. we're always trying to compare to what we used to do or what we thought it would be like. But I know when I was just trying to get out and walk, even like I just had a baby that did not like Cade was just such a pain in the ass. <laughs> like he just would cry. And I'm like, so these thoughts I had about getting in a lot of miles, even walking we're going out of runs with him. Like I didn't have a baby that could do that. Like I just didn't, I didn't have that till my second, you know, where I thought I could be the mom who was out there getting in all these miles and kind of running off this baby weight again, the guys, this was like six years ago. So I was a slightly different athlete back then and coach, (laughs) but you know, I think we just have to deal with the reality that's in front of us, which is our life looks different. Our body's still healing and it's different right now. And our routine has to shift based on the cards we've been dealt in both of our recovery and motherhood experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm not one to sit here and tell you that you have to put your family, you know, first all the time or your training has to come last to work or whatever. I mean, everybody's taken a, you know, booked a meeting on their calendar at work and gone to work out guilty right here. At some point we've all done it. Like you just mentally need that time and that's fine. But the mental and emotional load as a mother at first too. I mean, your hormones are all over the place. The mom guilt, I don't think ever goes away from people I've talked to with older kids, but it's, it's your mindset. It's your, it's your mental and your physical health that are both at play here. And mental stress creates physical stress. If you are, if you are stressed out and you're struggling with motherhood in general, and you decide you're going to go blow off some steam on a three mile run before you're ready, all of that complicates each other. And you know, we have to address all of those things separately, but it's really twofold there. Yeah. And we get it. Like, I know that for me, again, I'm not, I would never call myself an endurance athlete, but I do love the feeling of being able to just go 
like and yeah. have it's like a it's a sense of freedom and freedom is something that moms don't typically have whether you're working right. or not to me the appeal that i experience and see a lot with athletes i work with is just like that feeling that freedom of almost like i i manage my anxiety by running i manage my depression with getting out there and just being able to go and i get that there's such a positive mental impact that endurance training in particular can have on our mental health but we cannot outtrain our mental health struggles right we cannot like we cannot expect exercise to be the band-aid that fixes things mm-hmm. um, it can absolutely complement and be a significant part of your healing process your management whatever it might be but if you are feeling like you're going to go crazy if you do not run because you're so anxious, you're so overwhelmed, you're so angry, you're so upset, like all of these mental health things that impact literally everyone, you guys, like it's just not talked about as openly and as much as it should. But so many moms struggle in that postpartum chapter because so many things have transitioned and shifted. And especially for endurance athletes and athletes in general, we are used to managing our mental health along a spectrum, right? But we're used to managing that with our training. And when that piece of our management is maybe hindered by our overall physical level of readiness, we have to find other strategies. And so just as a, almost as an aside, like it's okay to get a little extra help right now. And if you're experiencing that and you see it come up because you're frustrated with your training or your lack of ability to train right now, that was a great sign to go and seek out help from a mental health therapist. Yes. And I, I will say too, on the coaching end, like hiring a coach after I had my son was one of the best decisions because he could see things brewing that I may not have even known were stressing me out. So I, I work um, my full-time work is in fundraising and event operations. So I have busy seasons and I'd be, you know, rattling off in my training peaks feedback. Like I had to switch this because I've got this event and I'm working 12 hour days right now. And, you know, I'm not sleeping because my son's still waking up at three o'clock in the morning. And he would just write back and be like, stop, sleep in tomorrow, right. take the day off. Your work stress is going to push into your training stress and you are going to get injured. And like having someone, an outside party, just be like, like, keep an eye on all of those brewing comments Right, was great. And I think that's, it's hard to do for yourself, but sometimes you have to check in with yourself, like run, going for a run, going for a ride. Yeah. It fixes a lot. I mean, I, I so keep sacred those several hours, two to three hours on a Saturday morning. Sometimes in the summer, it was at 4.30 or 5 a.m. because my husband's in real estate and is busy on the weekends. But like when I have that time block to go out and get a ride in, it is like sacred to me um, right. now that I am a mom. But if you're in a bad place or you're tired as hell, it, it's not going to fix anything. It's just going to make it worse. Absolutely. And I think, again, it's us moms and athlete-brained moms giving ourselves that permission that right now sleep will probably give us so much more ROI than getting in extra training will right Right. now. Where the goal, again, our end goal for all of us, we are all pursuing fitness across a spectrum of interest and ability from a place of we just want, we really want to be healthy. We want to be fit. We want to live healthy lifestyles with our families And so being able to keep that as our forever gauge of choices, why are we doing this right now? Some chapters, our decision-making is going to look different than other chapters and that's all okay. Right. Well, Katie, thank you so much for this conversation. I think it was really valuable 
where can we learn more about you and get just more information on being an endurance athlete during pregnancy and postpartum? My website is up at pursuitendurancedc.com. And I also have an Instagram account that's underscore pursuit underscore endurance. So you can find me on there. And um, there's also a link to my personal one in there where I post a lot more pictures of um, training dogs and babies, which is what (laughs) I'm not. And the cat, don't forget about the cat. Um, So yeah, and I look forward to sharing it with you and welcome any questions people have as they're, as they're navigating this time. Yes. And we will link to uh, your website in the show notes and also the ebook that you have coming. So thank you so much for being here today. And guys, if you need, if you have any questions about this episode or want to get in contact with Katie, just make sure you check those resources. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Practice Brave podcast was brought to you by Strength.com and their line of clean, natural, and NSF certified for sport nutrition products built by Strength. If you're looking for effective supplements that are safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding, head to Strength.com for 25% off your first order. Use code PRACTICEBRAVE. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Talk to you soon.